Thank you to the media team in the back, by the way. These guys serve so faithfully. Week in and week out. Also, if you're watching us online, we want to welcome you. And I saw a few faces of people who've been uh, watching online but are now back in person. So welcome back. And uh, we're, we're super glad to be together. So let's, uh, let's open up our Bibles to 1 Peter. <clears throat> As Ben Kai said, really looking forward to today's message uh, regarding grace and holiness and uh, two things that do go together, and I pray that we'll see, uh, we'll see powerfully today. So uh, again, 1 Peter, we're going to be looking today at uh, chapter 1, beginning at verse 13 and going down through 21. It's a great portion of scripture for us to look at, and, and I'm believing today that God's word is going to work in our lives. And I believe that God's word will comfort you if you need comfort. I believe that God's word will correct us if we need correcting. And I know that God's word conforms us to be more like Jesus, and we all need that, right? Amen. And and not only that, but God has an abundance of grace that he wants to give to us today. He has grace for last week, he has grace for this week, and he has grace for next next week, right? Because grace is past, present, and future in the person of Jesus Christ. And so, again, 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the text all the way through, and then we'll look at it bit by bit. So, starting there in verse 13, it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's grace for the future. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Amen? Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. This is powerful truth that we ask, Lord would not remain within the pages of scripture, but would go deep within our hearts and then from within our hearts would flow out through our actions. For that to happen, Lord, we need your grace and we need the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon us in a fresh way today, Lord, that we might be not only hearers, but also doers of your word. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we have already seen quite a bit in this letter from the Apostle Peter. And look, Peter is a man that I find to be very relatable because his life with Jesus was very much a process. Can you relate to that? And, and Peter needed a lot of grace in his life. And grace is that kindness and favor of God that is shown towards sinners. And, and Peter knew uh, that life of, 
of living by his own understanding, but had come to know Jesus and walking in his grace. And over the last few weeks, what we've seen throughout this letter written by Peter is that there is truth after truth regarding our salvation. He calls us elect exiles. That's what Peter calls these believers that he's writing to. He, he tells us that we have received a salvation by believing in God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it is according to this God's great mercy that he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Somebody say amen. What this means is that our souls have been saved from sin and death because of the work that Jesus accomplished. And it means that it is through him and him alone we can have fellowship with God. And the way that we have that is by putting faith in Jesus. And when we put faith in Jesus, we become the family of God. And when that happens, heaven becomes your true and final home. Because that's where Jesus is. And we love Jesus. And even though we've never seen Jesus... We believe the testimonies of those who did, and with confident belief, with, with faith, with the assurance of things hoped for, we know him and we are known by him. And, and look, that are, that's just a few of the things we've learned so far in First Peter, right? We've learned these things. So then, in response to that, what is the kind of life that we're to live as elect exiles, as, as God's chosen citizens of an eternal kingdom. Well, the way we do that is we navigate through each day with God. And we go through the blessings and the beauties of life. And if God sees it necessary, that we go through what we call trials or testings of our faith in order to show that our faith is genuine, what you do is you go through that rejoicing. You go through it with joy because you know that it's only for a little while. And you know that very soon you will see your God and Savior face to face. So what you have as a Christian, as a born again believer in Christ, is you have the hope of heaven within your hearts and your heart is set upon eternal things because we serve an eternal God with eternal purposes. And it is the Holy Spirit who is in you and who comes upon you, who is actively working in your life right now as he uses the word of God to renew your thinking, right? You didn't always think this way, did you? I know I didn't think this way. I mean, I, I started to think this way. I started to talk this way when I heard the gospel of my salvation and I believed. This didn't just come through osmosis. And maybe all of this is a very recent thing for you. Oh, maybe you've been at this whole thing for a while. Or maybe what I'm talking about today is something that you will receive and by God's grace you will begin to live in today. But regardless, wherever you're at in this journey throughout this life, it is the Holy Spirit who is God who enables us to even know the things that we know and to do the things that we do. Amen? So that's a few more things that we've learned so far in First Peter. And that's a lot of good stuff, isn't it? And with all of this in mind, this 
all this truth that we've seen so far in the first chapter of First Peter, with all of that in our mind, we need to know something. We need to know that we are not perfect yet. And God knows that. God knows your life. And God isn't so much as looking for the perfection of your life as much as he is looking for the direction of your life. God is looking to see, are you aimed at heaven? You see, church, we are just passing through this world and and we need a whole lot of grace in the process. But we are aimed for heaven. And each one of us are to live by the grace of God of God as we live as exiles sojourning through this world for an eternal kingdom, amen? Which means that as we live, we need grace for the past, grace for the present, and grace for the future. And by faith and hope in God, we can have that. So let's read verse 13 again, which is actually the verse that we ended on last week, but it was so good, we're just gonna touch on it a little bit more. It says, therefore, In light of all that good stuff that you've just heard, prepare your minds for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Simply put, Peter is saying, think about heaven. Think about heaven. Think about how at the end of your time as an exile here on earth, you will have this future grace that will be brought to you when you see Jesus, and when you see Jesus, it will be, bring a final end to sin. Now what that's gonna happen, that's either gonna happen when you die and go to be with Jesus, or you see him coming on the clouds. And Peter recognizes that until that time comes, we need the multiplication of grace and peace in our lives because the exilic life, it ain't easy. It's not easy to live this life, and yet the whole aim for the Christian is to live like we belong to God. The whole purpose of why we are here is to show that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven and that we are going to be with Jesus, and he is making us his obedient children now. And Peter knows that all of this stuff that we're talking about, again, this, this truth that is just flowing off the pages of the scripture, he knows and we should know that the battle begins with our minds. That what are we thinking about? Just look in your Bible really fast. Just look down. If you have a Bible or you have your phone, look at your Bible and pick any word off the page of First Peter chapter 1. Just, just look down at First Peter chapter 1. See the word grace, maybe? Look in your Bibles. Grace, peace, mercy, faith, hope, souls, salvation, Father, Son, Spirit, praise, glory, honor, the blood of Jesus. Do you see the blood of Jesus on that page? Holy the resurrection, heaven. See, these are words of God. Now, do these words and the powerful truths that are contained within each of these words, do they occupy your mind? Do do these words 
Fill your thinking as you live in the time of your exile. What Peter is saying, he's saying, church, think about your thoughts. Think about your thoughts. What are you thinking about? Because since we have received so great a salvation in Jesus, gird up the loins of your minds. Roll up the sleeves of your minds, people, and think with faith of the active life that God has for you. Because Peter is saying this. He's saying these words that are within these pages, they cannot remain within a closed book that only receives slight consideration for one hour a week. These words of scripture have to so fill our hearts and fill our minds that they've so grabbed us and gripped us that they, they've transformed us. And by that transformation, there is a flowing out of action in our daily lives by these words. So, so Peter's saying, prepare your minds for action because the Christian life is full of activity at every moment of every day. Can I get a witness? And so we must walk by the Spirit of God and the Word of God if we actually want to see this stuff bring the transformation that it's meant to bring in not only to us, you guys, but to this world. That believers, by the grace of God, are to have their minds set on eternal things because, man, it's action-packed. Now, before we go any further into this, I, I have to say two things. One is that I don't really have many, like, little stories, anecdotes, or anything. I'm going to preach, like, straight truth the rest of this time. So if you've liked the first, like, five minutes of the message, I've got about 25 more minutes of it, okay? Are you good with that? Okay, cool. But before we go further, here's what I want to communicate to us. In light of this gospel that we've been listening to, because there can be a danger either in how things get communicated or in how things get heard. And the danger can be for us is that I tell you to do something for God without telling you first what God has done for you. Or the danger can be that I tell you to become something that in Jesus you already are. Or the danger is that you hear what is being said and you think, okay, I hear you, pastor. I just have to try harder, <laughs> right? Or perhaps you hear this and you're not considering with your mind or with your spirit how God has given you the power and the ability to live the life of faith that you've been called to live by his word and by his spirit and by his grace. And we think that it really comes down to us. But the gospel's not about us, really. It's about the marvelous works of Jesus that he has done for us, and we live in response to what he has done. You see, Paul has a way of showing this in his writings where the first half of his letters, they are loaded up with our identity in Jesus. Usually, like, the first three chapters will just say who we are in Jesus first. It's all about what God has done for us and not anything really about what we have done for God. That comes second. That comes later in the latter halves of his writings. But he fills our minds first with the gospel of salvation. And then, in light of that, the second half is, you know, usually after a word like, therefore just as Peter used here, therefore, how do we respond to these gospel truths? 
And when you understand that New Testament model, like when you really grab hold of that model where you first hear what Jesus has done for you and who you are in him, and then how do I respond to that? That you don't cross the wires, right? Because if we live by the gospel, it changes everything about how we live our lives for Jesus. A couple you know, quick thoughts and ideas about this is that position always comes before practice. Knowing who you are in Jesus comes way before what you will do for Jesus. See, what God wants is God wants, before God wants you to do something for him, he just wants you to be with him. Amen? If we think this way, if we think with this sober-minded thinking, I believe we will live a more joyful and even-keeled life if we recognize this gospel of grace, this, this model by which Jesus proclaims faith to us. Because faith is to be lived out by the enabling power of God's presence and power, not by the mustering up of our own strength. I've, I've tried that. Anybody tried that? It doesn't work. It's not very effective. It's not very joyful. It's pretty miserable trying that. And so, what I'm saying is this. I'm saying that being sober-minded is to be gospel-minded. And when we are gospel-minded, life is filled with awesome activity. And so I I just had a burden to start this message off that way because I believe that that is going to help us I I hope it helps some people here this morning to have that right kind of thinking about God before we're even told how to live. Amen? Amen. So let's keep moving because there's so many more awesome things. Look at verse 14. It says, "Having, having this mindset. So hopefully you guys got your gospel thinking caps on right now. In light of that, look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So as obedient children, really the way that that could be said is since you already are obedient children, then the stuff flows, right? Is that God already sees us as obedient children in Jesus Christ. Because we have been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. We have been justified. Ladies who are studying Romans, can I get an amen? You know what we're talking about because God sees us as obedient children even when we're not. Even when we're not behaving, God sees us through Christ that way. Jesus is, though, currently conforming us to be like him in obedience. That's what we call sanctification. And that's the process of becoming more like Christ that all believers are going through. And then there's glorification. When it's all said and done and we come to Jesus and we're with him in heaven. Justification, sanctification, glorification. It's the past grace, the present grace, and the future grace of God. And that is how God sees us as his obedient children. And so as obedient children, what he's saying is in view of that, you can start acting like it. God already sees you as his obedient child, so you can be one. Now, you might be thinking this. You might be thinking, but I'm not obedient. I mess up all the time. 
and I feel the guilt and the shame of my sin. And I try, I, I try hard. And I, I even try to perform so that I won't be seen a certain way because I don't want to be seen as, uh, as not of, as good of a Christian as I hope to be. Anybody ever get caught in that trap? But God knows that. God knows who you are, and so confession. I've got a confession to make right now. Everyone's like, ooh, pastor's going to make a confession. <laughs> I still sin. I still sin way more than I would like to. But God loves me as his child. And, and as his obedient child, I want to be conformed to Christ. But a lot of times I find myself falling back into the passions of my former ignorance when I didn't know any better. But now I know. Now I know. And hopefully that in Jesus you are becoming who you are meant to be. Because you know who you used to be prior to Jesus. Hopefully not knowing God is a former thing for you. Because if it's a present thing, God wants to save you. But let's just do this, church. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus because of his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, think for a moment. Recall your former ignorance when you knew nothing of what I'm talking about. When everything that I've been saying so far would just, like, not even go through your mind. But the simple fact, by the grace of God, that as you're hearing me communicate right now from the word of God, you are actually able to know the things that I'm even talking about right now. That is a profound, that is a profound testimony of the grace of God in your life, that you can even think about what I'm talking about right now. Because in my BC days, that's before Christ, <laughs> I was ignorant and my life was simply driven by my passions, where my passions were for sin, and I just, this is how I live my life. I did whatever seemed right in my own eyes. I just did whatever I wanted to do. Did you used to live that way too? But once you came to Jesus, you can't live that way anymore. It, it's, it's an incredible blessing. Sometimes feels like a burden, like, oh. Why can't I just do what I used to do and now I can't anymore because I've got this Holy Spirit inside of me that convicts me. And it's like the word is staring me down and the pastor's reading my mail and saying everything that he, ah! right? Anybody feel that way ever? But we know who we used to be prior to Jesus. And so recall that former ignorance that when your life was driven that way, Peter's saying, do you remember living that way? He says, don't slip back into living that way. Don't slip back into being driven by just every whim of passion. And then you might be even thinking right now, but Daniel, I am living that way. I am constantly driven by every whim of passion. And if you knew what was in my mind on a daily basis, you would be like, whoa, what? No, trust me. We all understand that there's a battle going on with our minds and with our spirit where the flesh wages war against the spirit, but there's victory in Jesus Christ, amen? Don't feel shame 
and where the enemy is going to grab your thoughts and think that you're apart from Christ. You're not. If you've believed in Jesus, you are in him so you can think that way. I, I, what I'm saying is that if you feel right now that you are being more conformed to this world than you are being conformed to Jesus, what I'm saying, friend, is it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way because if you've received Jesus, which is the experiential knowledge that you are a sinner and he is a savior, it is the knowledge by faith that he died on a cross to shed his blood so that by the sprinkling of his blood you can become an obedient child of God and by the power of the resurrection, the Holy Spirit in you can make you obedient. Amen? You can be obedient. You used to think a certain way until you learned Christ. And now you know Jesus. So live for Jesus. Live what you know, and that might not be much yet. As I said, maybe you're new to all of this, but, but I love this story in the Gospels where Jesus heals a blind man. And the religious people who knew a lot about the word of God came and said, who's this Jesus? Tell us about him. What is he? Who is he? And they were hitting him with all of these questions. And he's like, wait, 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 hold on. I don't, I don't know what you're asking me, but this is what I know. I once was blind, but now I see. Amen? Because your life has been saved by Jesus, Live a saved life for Jesus. And verse 15 through 16 says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And I don't know about you, but I read those verses and I think, man, that seems like too much. God is holy. And now I am to be holy in all my conduct. Yet again, who is mentioned first? You or God? God. God is holy. And God called you. And what God calls, God enables. And, and look, holiness, it does mean moral excellence, living a perfect life. But it's more than that. It's not all that it means. Holiness means, in the biblical sense, to be set apart unto something. That when God called you, he set you apart, meaning that he took you out of your former ignorance and set you apart for salvation in Jesus Christ. And he did that. He did that. And if God did that for you, then you can be holy in all of your conduct. So be set apart. Live a lifestyle of God, godliness. And, and look, God is going to entirely help you to do that. Do you believe that? That God will help you to live a holy life in all your conduct. And, and in the Greek, all means all. All your conduct. Well, oh, Pastor, what about with my work life? Can't be that. Like church, Got it. Down. Dial. Oh, but what about my relationships? Ah, we can do that. Oh, what about that? What about that? We like to compartmentalize our lives. No, when God says all, he means all. 
all your life is to be conducted in holiness, meaning in everything that you say and do and even think is to be for holiness. And like I said, we read this verse. We hear what I'm saying, and it intimidates us because we feel like we've come up way too short. We, we look at our lives and we can say, how can I ever be holy like God is holy? Because I am so far from that. And to be honest, I wish I could stand up here right now and I wish I could say that I have it all figured out and uh, that uh, I don't, you know, that I've mastered this, but I'm just, again, another confession. I have not mastered my conduct for holiness. And my master knows that. And you have not mastered your conduct for holiness, but your master knows that. And each man, woman, child will stand before their own master. And we are to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, knowing that we are all in this journey of living holy lives. As the command in the Bible says, be holy as I am holy, that's going to be a lifelong pursuit for all of us. We are all in that process together, and here's what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going for, and I'm going to ask who's with me, okay? Who's with me on this one? God is holy. God is separate and perfect. He always has been that way, and he always will be that way, and God wants me to be like him. And he made it possible for me to be like him. When there wasn't a way, he made a way. Jesus made it possible when he imputed his righteousness to me. And so God says, be holy. And my response to him as his obedient child in Christ says, yes, Father. Yes, Father. But not out of my own righteousness, but out of the righteousness that I have received from Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. Not out of my own power and my own strength from my flesh, but out of the power and the strength of your spirit and by your grace. Thank you, Father. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So here's the key. Here's the key to holiness. If I can give one thing to say, you want to live a holy life for God? Here's the key. You ready? Fear God. Fear God. Because if you fear the Lord, then you will live a life that is worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You will seek to be what Jesus made you, and that is to be a righteous and obedient child in the sight of God. You will be what Jesus made you to be. So, you have heard so much gospel truth today, haven't you? It's maybe hitting you like a fire hose, and maybe you're picking up on some of it, most of it, all of it. I don't know where you're at, but I trust that it's the word of God and it doesn't return void. But here's the thing. I don't know where you're at in your faith with Jesus. Again, like I said, maybe this is a brand new thing for you, or maybe you've been at this for a long time. Maybe you are trying to run from God, and you have been prodigal, and you are trying to get away from all of this, but he's still holding on to you. Or maybe you are just, none of this is making any sense because you don't know Jesus, and you've never asked Jesus to come and to be your Savior and to 
give you his grace. I, I don't know where you're at today, but here's what I know. Uh, set aside if you don't know Jesus yet. I'm going to talk to you at the end. If you do know Jesus, which I look out and that's a lot of you, this is what I'm going to say, and it might come across very direct, but here's what I'm going to say. If you are a Christian, please stop trying to conjure up some kind of holiness from your own efforts because it ain't there. And, and stop trying to be holy on your own terms because all that will turn into is religious performance. God is looking for your faith, and that's it. Faith, because God can credit righteousness to faith. That's, that's the gospel. And without faith, we cannot please God. So being holy and being set apart for God's purposes doesn't come from you, it comes from God. Now, if you're thinking right now, ah, I hear you, but holiness is not fun. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Ignorant thinking is to think that if you live a holy life, you're bound to a boring life. It's not true. The life of faith is an active life and it's a great life. So with our mind being rooted in the gospel, with having this frame of thinking, we can read verse 17 that says, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. So do you call on the God of heaven and earth? Do you call him father? If you know Jesus, then you do, because his spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. You can pray, my father who is in heaven, holy is your name. You know him as Abba, Papa, Father, Dad, God. You know him. And so if you call on God, God as father, then this is what you do know about God. You know that he is holy. And an aspect of his holiness is that he's a judge. And you know in Jesus that if you've come to the Father, then you have had your sins already judged at the cross of Jesus. That Jesus bore your sin, the judgment of righteousness from the Father. That the blood of Jesus made propitiation so that you never have to receive the judgment of God towards sin. It was paid in full. Amen? Amen. If you know this father and you know that he is good, that he's the father to the fatherless, he, is, he dwells in unapproachable light and yet Jesus has revealed him. And Jesus will introduce you to the father and if you'd like to call upon him today, go through Jesus. And anyone can do that because we see in the text God shows no partiality. We see there that God has no favorites. I'm not his favorite. Just because I stand up here preaching the word of God, I am not God's favorite. I'm a broken sinner. I'm a person begging for bread, just telling other people where to find it. God shows no partiality. There are no favorites in God's kingdom, and anyone and all people can call on him. You don't have to tidy yourself up first. You just call on him. Wherever you're at in life, you just call on him. And when you call upon him, he will judge sin. And when he judges sin, if you know Jesus, then you've been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus for obedience and you are free from the judgment of sin. Can somebody praise him in this church today? Okay. 
And there is still, though, there is still, though, and this is where the fear part comes in for believers. Not a fear that is, oh, I'm afraid of this God. We approach God with boldness. But a fear that comes with reverence to a holy God. This is where the fear comes in for the believer is that there will still be a judgment for believers. A judgment for how we conducted ourselves during the time of our exile. 1 Corinthians 3 tells us about this judgment. It's called the Bema Seat of Christ or the Judgment Seat of Christ. And, and we will be judged by God who judges with, without partiality. But it's not a judgment for salvation. That happened at the cross. It's a judgment for reward where every believer will be judged impartially according to each one's deeds. That knowing this then by faith is gonna shape how we conduct our lives. It's gonna, it's gonna impact how you live today if you know that you will stand before a holy God and he will judge you according to all your deeds. So, elect exiles, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. See, our Father who is in heaven, he is holy. But he loves us even while we are sinning. He loves you while you are in sin, but he loves you too much to let you stay there. God, who is holy, has called us out of darkness and into light. And knowing this God, knowing the one who judges impartially, will cause you to have a reverence in your life to live today for holiness. God doesn't show special treatments. He is fair and he is just. And a lot of people think like this. A lot of people think that, hey, God, you're going to get to heaven. Hey, God, thanks for the break. You know that whole time of my life there, you know, that one decade where, um, yeah, I wasn't really living for you. And, but you knew what I was going through in that time. And, um, and so thanks for just overlooking it and... Uh, peace. I, I, I sit in my father's lap, but I fear him. Where I know that I will stand before my God and I'll give an account for how I lived. I'll stand before my God because as a teacher... Unfortunately, I'll be held to a stricter judgment. And I'll give an account for how I shepherded his people. And we have to, church. In a lost and a dying world, we have to stop acting like we don't know what we're talking about. Like, where we don't know what the Bible has clearly told us. We, we can't pretend like we still live in our former ignorance. If, if you know Jesus, then live for Jesus. If you have been saved, then live a saved life. And here's what I'm gonna challenge you with, that if there is no practice of righteousness in your life, go check on your position with Jesus. Bear fruit of righteousness in keeping with repentance. Go learn what that means, church. As elect exiles, let us together conduct ourselves as chosen children of God aimed at heaven. Amen? Amen.
Do you guys like sandwiches? Okay. Because Peter right here is going to make a killer grace sandwich. Watch what he does. Verse 13 is the top piece of bread. Grace will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's talking about a future grace that will be revealed to you. Verse 14 through 17, which we just covered, is the stuff inside. Live a holy life before your God while you're in exile. And then verse 18 is the bottom piece of bread. It's the, it's the grace that just sandwiches it right in. It says, knowing this, that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or without spots. So here's what Peter has said so far this morning and what you've been hearing is this, is as obedient children of God, which if you've believed in Jesus, that's what he's made you. We are to be what we are. We are to live a holy life for God knowing that we were ransomed by God. That's a gospel sandwich. Enjoy it. Because it's grace, grace, grace. Grace, 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 all the way through. We put our faith and our hope in God because we've been ransomed by the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sins. Lord, I pray that we would be able to hope and trust in that gospel of our salvation and live in response to it. In Jesus' name, amen.